Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of What You're Reading. This week's podcast will go alongside the blog post for November 18th. As always, in that post, I will link to all the books, the quotes, and whatever else that I'll be mentioning today. You can find that entry on tbqsbookpalace.com. So early morning is the best time for me to record all this. That's when I have the time for it, but that's also usually when my house is the quietest, so I can actually cut down on background noise and possible interruptions, usually. But early morning is also when my voice sounds like complete shit, so here I am at the corner of a rock and a hard place. We're just gonna have to make do, I guess. So let's start with the Romance Landia chats, because I've got a couple of them that I was doing on Twitter this week. I had a lot to say. So I started off by bitching about a review that I read. I was found it while I was putting together some book deals for the day, and I was just kind of scrolling through Goodreads reviews for it, and anyway, this one caught my attention. But the reviewer complained that the book wasn't, quote, realistic, because the heroine, who escaped an abusive husband, then had her own happy life and happily ever after. Yes, the reviewer also said they were expecting a dark and twisted read, so you can argue that the reader probably was not a romance reader to begin with, and they were wanting a different type of story entirely, which I agree. But this isn't just about romance readers and romance novels. This attitude the reviewer is sharing there is very much being upset that a woman with a traumatic past dared to go on and live a happy life afterwards, and how unrealistic that was, how that's not at all believable or accurate, which is why I'm calling a bullfucking shit. Reminder here that characters with past or traumas or, quote, problems and all that, they deserve happily ever afters as well. Full stop. And this applies to anyone in real life as well. You deserve love and happiness and a good life, and it is a realistic option for you. Because forget that this reviewer was complaining about having picked up a, quote, Hallmark movie-type book. This thought process is deeper than that. Are you telling me that they think their neighbor who has a traumatic past deserves a happy life when they've just said they think such a thing is unrealistic in a fucking fiction book where anything is possible to begin with, but they don't think that is possible? No, I'm sorry. But if someone's says that about a character in a book, they believe it about people in real life too. And that's where this becomes a problem outside of just romance novels and happily ever afters. No, I won't give you guys a link to the review. I'm not going to be that petty, but I will tell you the name of the book that this was reviewed, which was The Lullaby Sky by Carolyn Brown. Actually, Pat read it a year or two ago. She never did review it, though, but she gave it four stars, so it's a recommendation from her. And it's currently $1.99, but if you have Amazon Prime, I noticed that it's part of their little borrow-for-free Amazon Prime library. You can get it that way. Be warned! The heroine rebuilds her life and finds love again. Oh no, the horror! After that, I had a couple of fun conversations going on Twitter. One was about a totally what-the-fuck romance cover that Jen found on NetGalley. I cannot repeat enough, that cover is not a romance cover. Now, maybe the book itself is, I know nothing about it, though the blurb is also kind of confusing, but the cover is not a romance. And that's not a good thing. Your cover is the first thing that readers are going to see. It's your very brand, first and foremost. And when the cover does not say romance, how can you expect romance readers to even find it, to want to read it? You tell me. 
is the cover in question for this book called Empty Vessels, a romance cover. Because everyone on Twitter is saying, um, hell fucking no, that's disturbing and why are you putting that on a cover, period, let alone on a romance. I mean, we're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, but for fuck's sake, come on, we all do. And that one does not say romance in any way, shape, or form. Not even a little bit. Next, we were talking all about major height differences in romance novels and how some sex positions are out of the question if that height difference is too drastic. And what I really loved about that conversation is it took a turn towards personal experiences from a few readers and authors. And of course, they, you know, worried that maybe they just put out TMI to people, which I get, but I don't think it was. I love that our community can have these very frank and honest and open conversations about our lives and about sex and about relationships and our body and all that stuff. I love that we're able to do that. And it's one of the main reasons that I so love having the online romance community. I don't just do this because of the books. I do this because of all of you guys. You guys make it awesome. And I love that. I love that. I cannot stress it enough. I love and appreciate that. So thank you for all of your conversations with me. And then I ended the week by letting my snark and my rage out a few times. And I called out some reviews. Like, I didn't drop any names. I didn't drop names for the books or the reviewers, but regardless, I still called their shit out. First was for a reviewer who called one hero in an MM novel, quote, too feminine and complained that she sometimes couldn't tell if she was reading about a Brandon or a Brenda. Um, fuck that. I, I don't even know where to begin with that, you guys, other than take your shitty view on what's quote-unquote okay for each gender and shove it. I do not have time for that bullshit. Later that same day, I came across another review for a different book that was calling the heroine rude and a total ass, and of course I had to tweet about how those comments show off a reader's internalized misogyny when, because when true asshole heroes are treated as book boyfriends, but quote, difficult or harsh or strong heroines are treated as unlikable, unrelatable and all that, yeah, that's your internalized misogyny showing its ass. Stop it. Stop it. And I know that you have to actually stop and unpack these things. You don't just wake up one morning and think that you're going to throw off all the stuff that society has crammed down your throat from birth. You have to stop and say, okay, why am I, why am I reacting this way? Why does this character bother me? Why am I judging this character this way or whatever? It, it's a conscious effort that you have to do and you have to think it through and you have to confront that. And I'm working on that myself. I say this a lot, but I'm seriously not perfect in this. But I have worked over the years to stop and think about why I'm wanting to judge a character, especially another woman in a in a romance novel. Why am I so harsh on them? And I'm guilty of it. I've went over this before over the years, not necessarily on this podcast, but I've talked about it before about how being part of this community has taught me so damn much, has changed me so damn much for the better. Like I am truly thankful that it has because without this community, I know I would be a very different person. I know the society that I'm being raised in. I know where I live. I know the people that I'm around, the family views and stuff like that, that I, that I was taught and that I'm still having to listen to. And I don't mean to make that sound like my family is like utter shit. They're not. But a lot of their views are not what my views are now. And if it hadn't been for the romance community teaching me otherwise, you know, showing me how to 
confront my own internalized bullshit and confront why why do I believe this thing or why do I think this way, I, I wouldn't have changed. I probably would never have changed because I'm just, the bubble that I'm in here, the views that I'm being subjected to here are nothing like a lot of the views that I've been taught within this community, the views that I have adopted and changed myself. So anyway, um, that's kind of getting off topic. But my point is, I know that um, for some, they honestly don't mean for this internalized thought process to come out in their judgment of characters, judgment of heroines in particular. But for a lot of them, I mean, they know what they're saying and they have no problem saying it. That's where I have an issue. So, you know, if you're going, well, I really didn't like this character for this legitimate reason, that's one thing. But if you are reacting harshly to a heroine for doing the same thing that a hero would do and the hero you think is, you know, hot for doing it or they're manly for doing that or whatever, you need to stop and look at those double standards that you're holding and um, confront them because that is some of that internalized misogyny going on there. And it's a process. It's totally a process, but you can do it. I encourage you to stop and think about why you have these knee-jerk reactions and thoughts, okay? Okay, I've got, I've like totally went off <laughs> enough on that one, and that's not what this podcast is about. So let's move on from there and talk about the blog recap for the week. So first up, Jen had her Let's Talk post go live, and there is so much shade in it, and I fucking love it. Come join the discussion on sneaky reprints, newer books that get multiple cover changes in a short period of time, and old school shit that's coming back into the genre again, and so much more. That post was just awesome. Tuesday brought a little excerpt from Gretchen Riley's new rock star romance, Grady. This one sounds great, and I hear it's quick, dirty, and low on the angst. Considering how 2017 is going, I think we could all use a little bit more of all of that in our lives. Reading lives or otherwise, let's be honest. Also, Grady is currently 99 cents. I don't know how long she's going to keep it at that price, but maybe check out that excerpt. See if it's something you're interested in, and if it is, go one-click it before the price goes up. Next, Pat reviewed Close to Heaven by Pamela Clare, which is the fifth book in her contemporary series, The Colorado High Country. Pat gave this one five stars, so it'll be in the November Royal Pick giveaway at the end of the month. She calls the romance here slow and sensual, though she admits she wanted to slap the hero a time or two. I know we've all been there before, right? Thursday brought another throwback review from Jen, this time for her first romance novel. Pink Satin by Jeannie Grant, aka Jennifer Green. This was a 1980s category romance that's been republished somewhat recently by Karina Press under her other author name, uh, Jennifer Green. So, trigger warning, the heroine suffers workplace sexual harassment, and Jen compares what the heroine dealt with in the 80s to what's in the media right now. Um, it's a really interesting and also frustrating conversation. Frustrating in that nothing has changed because fuck you, patriarchy. Uh, but if you need to skip that review because of that topic, I totally understand it. Take care of yourself first. I don't want you to ever think that the blog is not a safe spot. So if that's going to be triggering, just, you know, skip over to another blog post instead. And finally, Pat reviewed The Outpost by Devney Perry, which came out earlier this month. She gave this romantic suspense five stars, also making it a royal pick for November. She says this is a sexy romance with suspense, danger, and fear, and Pat loved it so much she ended up rereading it while she was writing her review for me. Those are the best books, aren't they? When you finish it and you have to immediately start it all over again, or if you're like me when I'm going back to look for quotes and I start um, just reading 
reading the entire book from the point of a quote or something. Like, those are the best books, hands down. So there were also the usual posts up this week, lusting for covers on Sunday, new releases on Tuesday, and daily book deals Monday through Saturday. I apologize in advance to your one-click finger while also encouraging you to go treat yourself to a new book. Or 10. I won't tell anyone. Next week, Jen's review for Alicia Rye's Wrong to Need You finally goes up. Spoiler alert, she loved this book. Pat's got another review up for Jessica Scott's latest release, and Jen has a fun Who Did It Better post, this time with the theme of Thanksgiving romances. Shit, that means Thanksgiving is next week? Oh, okay, be right back. I need to go, like, start cleaning the house and planning the actual meal. And where the fuck did November go, you guys? Because I swear I was just telling you guys it was the first of November. And now I'm looking at Thanksgiving and I have nothing prepared. It's, it's okay. It's great. This is fine. This is fine. As to my reading week, I managed to finish four books. Okay, well, actually, I finished three books, and I DNF'd the fourth one really damn quickly. Don't worry, we'll get to that one. It's a doozy. So, without further ado, let's get into the book discussions. So first up, I finished my audiobook, White Hot by Alona Andrews, narrated by Renee Rodman. I'm giving this one a solid four stars a high four stars, if you will. Oh, and this one is first POV from the heroine only, with the exception of a few pages of the epilogue that are in third person from the hero only. So Nevada is a truth seeker, which means that her magic allows her to tell when someone is lying. It also allows her to force the truth out of people. She's very powerful, but she's just starting to learn how much power she has and what she can do with it. She's still learning. She didn't learn a lot of this stuff as a kid like most of the high-power uh, mages, basically, in this world would. She was raised not to be using her powers, so now she's at, I think, like 24, 25 in the book or something like that, and she's just now starting to learn it herself. Rogan, or as everyone calls him, Mad Rogan, is also super powerful and rich. He's ex-military. His power can do a lot of damage, like tearing apart buildings and shit. But his power can also manifest in a more pleasurable way. And we'll get to that bit, don't worry. So this is book two in this urban fantasy type series, and this one centers around finding out who killed five lawyers. Nevada, who runs her family's uh, private investigation firm, is hired by the husband of one of the victims to find out who murdered his beloved wife. So as she starts poking around with Rogan helping, of course, they become the targets and it becomes a rush to find the killer before the killer can get to them. So this series is really, really good. I love how strong Nevada is and how snarky and fierce she can be. I love her strong sense of responsibility and her love for her crazy family. I mean, her family is an interesting group, but really fun as well, especially her grandma, who is obsessed with building tanks and has no filter and gives zero fucks. Hey, that is always a fun combination in a character, so I am here for that type of character. I also enjoyed the romance here, though as this is an urban fantasy series, the romance is a slow burn that builds over the course of the series. So they only just got to the sexy times towards the end of this book. There was none of that in the first book. Before I get into that though, there's one scene that I have to talk about because I fucking loved it and it kind of ties into moving into them being intimate together. So Nevada finds out that Rogan, or rather one of his many companies, bought her mortgage and car loans and all that that shit. And she's pissed, 
rightfully so i don't blame her and she starts telling him that he had no right to do that and that she can't be with a man who holds all the power over her life like that i spent that entire exchange mentally fist bumping the air while i was out walking the dog because yes 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 rogan explains that he did it for her own good now now hold on okay let me finish he does have a valid point here he knows that her enemies would do the same thing that they would buy up her life to use as leverage over her she was financially weak while having a large target on her back both because of her rare power and now because of her tendency to stick her nose into things like you know the current murder mystery going on so by rogan buying it up instead her enemies cannot use her financial weakness against her so he goes on to say that he's not going to use it against her either and she tells him it doesn't matter he's already done the damage by buying it in the first place i loved that scene because it confronts what we're often talking about in romance landia the power imbalance between the couple now to be fair they do end up hooking up and nothing has changed he's still filthy rich and holds the power that way and he still owns her loans and whatnot but honestly what else could they do she's not going to magically come into enough money to pay off her debts and put her on even ground with him i wasn't upset by the fact that they still end up together while he has the great power in the relationship in this sense um simply because nevada clearly doesn't take his shit and she may not always be more powerful than him be it magical or money or influence but she can hold her own and that that is what i love to see i need to see that even if maybe they're not completely on equal footing in every sense of the word at least the heroine is not a fucking doormat nevada is not that so i appreciated that and i appreciated that that scene was brought in to begin with even if it couldn't change anything between their power imbalance i still appreciated that that scene was there and it is so important that we have that discussion more in romance landia now i mentioned that his power can also be used for good so he's a tactile his magic can also be done through touch so while his hand might be here his magical hand if you will might be there and he knows how to drive nevada crazy with both physical and magical touch they only get one scene together towards the end of the book like i mentioned but it was pretty damn hot and i it was definitely a good release <laughs> yep you knew it was coming right um it was definitely a good release after the tension that's been building for him for all that time did i want more sure considering how slow of a burn it is but again i have to keep in mind this is more of an urban fantasy with romantic elements not a paranormal romance different expectations different books you know i just have to keep reminding myself of that because i am such a die-hard romance reader so this one was fun it has some good tension going on it's got some fun characters it's got a lot of action and some magic and kick-ass heroin and it's just it's great you really should try this series the narrator here as well did a good job with this one i very much enjoyed her performance and i already have a hold on book three from the library i'm like the 11th in line for it though it's definitely going to be a while before i can get to that one i definitely recommend this series book three i think should still be on sale for a dollar 99 and while i do not recommend starting with book three you would be lost um if you're interested in this series it would be smart to maybe grab book three while it's cheap and just hold off until you've read the first two books or just a friendly reminder to check your library they probably might have all of them i mean my library does and my library is really not the greatest library system but just a friendly reminder to check your library it is a very important asset you can find a lot of books there for obviously no money 
If you remember, I started reading their other urban fantasy series, the Kate Daniels series, uh, what, last month? And while I liked book one, I think I like this series better than that. Now, true, I have not finished the rest of the Kate Daniels series, and the first book in any series, urban fantasy or not, is always kind of iffy, right? It's it's usually not the best of the series. So that might change. Maybe when I, when I do eventually finish the Kate Daniels series, maybe I might like it more. But I think that I just like Nevada and Rogan and the team of characters here and the story being told here better than I do the Kate Daniels series. I think that Kate Daniels one is more dark and gritty than this one, and this one is a little bit more... I mean, it's still got some very maybe not darkness, but it's not light and fluffy, but there is a little bit more fun and lightheartedness, I suppose, to this one compared to the Kate Daniels series, or at least compared to book one of that series, since that's all I've actually read. <sighs> Are you guys ready for some whiplash, though? Because I just went from talking about a book that I really enjoyed. The next part of this podcast is going to be for my audiobook that I started and DNF'd all within the span of one day it oh <sighs> be ye prepared for a whole fucking ton of swear words fucks shits all of that it's coming in this next rant and i give zero fucks literally Next up, I listened to Size Matters by Alison Bliss, narrated by Violet Strong. Or rather, I did not listen to it since I DNF'd that bitch at 11%, and that was 11% too far. Look, I knew this was probably going to be a bust. I mean, the title alone, which I guess they thought was cutesy, just makes me want to flip it off. And the rest of the series titles are no better. On the plus side, more to love, and the entire series is called A Perfect fit. Enough with the fat puns, okay? Just stop. Stop. But it was available at my library, and I decided to give it a shot because I so want more romances with curvy, plus-size heroines, and I was holding out hope that maybe this one would deliver or at least not, you know, piss me off. Oh, but it did not deliver, and it most certainly pissed me the fuck off. Right from the very start. Mere pages into it, and already our heroine makes a remark about how she's gained 10 pounds, and it's a good thing she's not in Alaska because an Eskimo would mistake her for a seal and harvest her for blubber. Yes, it was worded just like that, Eskimo reference and all. And then there's the fact that she thinks that because she's fat, she has no choice in men, and the only choice she has in a day is standing in front of the donut rack trying to decide what to eat. Thanks. Let's reinforce society's bullshit view that fat people equals unhealthy, food-obsessed slobs. Great. Great. This is going just fine. And then we meet the hero, and his internal dialogue upon seeing her goes something like this. That if his gaze drops below her face, he, and I'm quoting here, won't go home alone tonight after all. What the actual fuck, dude? You think that just because you look at her body and get a boner from it, that means she's going to jump into the car and go home to screw you? She hasn't even shown any damn interest in you at this point, so keep your fucking dick thoughts in your pants and get the fuck out of my book. And it only gets worse from there. He's just came out of some shitty relationship. Not that we get any sort of details about it. It's all vague man pain. Boo-hoo-hoo. -hoo. 
and he's vowed no more women. He's done with them. He's not out for a relationship. He's not out for anything. But he's attracted to Leah, our heroine. So what's a dilemma? What should he do? So his stupid, bright idea of how to tell Leah that he's not after a relationship or a hookup is to instead tell her that she's not his type, while his arm is around the bag-of-bones skinny woman that just walked up to him. That's not my words for her, by the way. That's their words in the book. This fucking asshole hero keeps shoving his foot so far down his mouth, I'm surprised it's not coming out of his ass at this point. He winces at his comment for just the briefest little moment, but then brushes it off and goes on with his night dancing with a skinny woman and leaves Leah to herself. To make it even better, we get some subtle slut-shaming during that scene, as the women's clothes are described as super tight and tiny and practically non-existent, as well as it's talked about how brazen she is about coming on to him. Here's a reminder, authors. You don't have to use the word slut, whore, and the like for it to be slut-shaming. And the subtle slut-shaming is just as wrong as the blatant slut-shaming. Stop doing all of it, authors. So upset by Sam's insult, Leah goes to the bar. She starts downing five tequila shots. She gets hit on by Shrimper Bob. That's her random name for this dude. And the dude won't take no for an answer. Starts yanking her towards him to dance and all that. So Sam intervenes and punches the dude. But here's the part that really pissed me off. Sam admits that he heard the man talking shit about women to the bartender earlier, but thought nothing of it because he wasn't, quote, harming anyone by running his mouth. But now that the man has put his hands on Leah, now he's went too far and it's time for Sam to do something. For fuck's sake, this is what we're always talking about. How men turn a blind eye to the shitty men because it doesn't affect them. And then said ignorant men are surprised when the dick face who has been derogatory to women all night is now refusing to take the word no as an answer from that drunk woman. I fucking hated Sam just for that thought process alone. Oh, he wasn't hurting anyone, so I just let him sit there and spew his gross misogynistic bullshit about women because why would I bother to actually speak up and tell him that that is not okay, shut the fuck up, asshole? That's literally the bare minimum I expect from guys, is for them to speak up and tell another man to shut the fuck up because none of that is fucking okay to say or do. That is the bare fucking minimum, you guys. And Sam can't even do that. So because of the fight, Leah and Sam get kicked out of the bar. Why the bartender kicks them out and not the other dude, I have no idea. And why he kicks Leah out at all, who didn't do anything, I have no fucking idea. But he does, and so they're out of there. And because she's so drunk, and her friend has somehow disappeared off the face of the bar planet while all that was going down, he says he's going to take her home. She doesn't want to go home with him, but she's drunk enough to eventually half-heartedly agree, gets into his truck, and passes the fuck out. He doesn't know where she lives. Apparently he can't get her to wake up, though he never actually tried to get her to wake up. So he just takes her to his home, puts her into his bed, undresses her while fighting his boner urges at seeing her passed out drunk sexy body, and then spends the night in a chair by his bed watching her. What the ever-loving fuck, you guys. That's not a sexy hero move. She didn't agree to go home with him. In fact, before her tequila shots, she was very much against going anywhere with him because she thinks he's an asshole, which he is, so points to her for that at least. She wakes up the next morning, is not at all concerned that she wakes up half-naked in a strange man's bedroom after being unable to remember last night, and he thinks it's okay to joke with her about what went on while she can't remember? Oh, hell fucking no! No! I cannot say that enough here. 
No. She gets dressed. He takes her to the bakery, which she runs. More on that in a minute. And she starts her day like nothing is wrong. Worse, her friend, Valerie, was at the bar with her the night before, remember? But these two are possibly the worst damn friends ever because Leah never called Valerie before she left the bar. Valerie never called to check on her missing and drunk friend at all during the night or in the morning. And even now... As she sees her in the morning, she still doesn't see anything wrong, just jokes that Leah must have had a good night with Sam. Oh, and Leah doesn't even acknowledge that she had been sexually harassed by the dude at the bar. Instead, she says they were kicked out of the bar because Sam and Shrimper Bob were playing whose dick is bigger macho shit. No, 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 they were not. I mean, look, I'm not going to give Sam much credit for anything considering all the shit that he's done wrong, but at least he went after the guy for not taking no for an answer. It wasn't a fucking pissing contest of jealous, which is what Leah is trying to say it was. And this conversation leads to Valerie joking that Sam must have a micro-penis, which is all sorts of wrong, and I don't even know where the comment came out of left field from to begin with. As I mentioned just a minute ago, Leah owns a bakery, and she tells us repeatedly, in just this little bit that I read, how ironic and funny it is that a fat girl owns a bakery. How cliche of her to do so. Fuck that. Look. Give me a fat heroine who runs a bakery because, guess what, she loves to bake. I'll take that any damn day. But this wasn't, I love to bake, so I opened a bakery. This was all, okay, let's have my fat heroine's job be an, an extension of her fatness. <laughs> so cliche. You know what? Fuck off. I stopped as soon as I got home from my walk, which was 11.8%, if you were curious. But by, like, 5% of this book? Actually, no. I knew at 3% of the book when her first, like, major internalized fat phobic remark came out. I knew for a motherfucking fact that I was throwing this one in the trash. Metaphorically speaking, sadly. I'm just glad that this was a library book. Also, let's talk for a moment. Just because you write a fat heroine does not make your book body positive. Hell, just because you are fat, that doesn't make you body positive. Body positivity is not an inherent thing that you get or that you are, and that's not a jab at this author. That's a universal fact that I'm reminding you all of. Look, I'm fat. I'm not ashamed of it. And I've only just recently started to learn about and embrace a body positivity. And I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect about it. I'm not claiming to be perfect about it. But here's why this book, just as an example, is not body positive. Besides the fat phobic remarks throughout, internalized fat phobic remarks or not, doesn't matter, there's the fact that body positivity itself is not limited to let fat people be happy in their bodies. Body positivity is inclusive to all bodies, all body types, all body sizes and shapes and abilities and looks. So the parts in this book where they were looking down on the super skinny woman who must be anorexic, which by the way, eating disorders are a serious thing, not just some uh, flight of fancy. They're not just some fad diet that comes and goes. That's a legitimate issue, health issue, that should be addressed, not treated like, um, like, not treated like it's nothing. When they're looking down on the skinny women in here, hi, that judgment is not body positive either. And the jokes about the micropenis, that's not body positive, plus that's very transphobic and a bunch of other shit. You can't put a fat character in your book and think that automatically makes you a body positive author. And to be clear, this book doesn't claim to be body positive. This author, to my knowledge, does not claim to be body positive. But I saw more than a few reviews that called this series body positive, and I'm just like, bitch, where? Because there is nothing about this book that is body positive, and I'm pretty fucking confident that there is nothing in the next book that is body positive either. Oh, guys, stop me. I only went 11% into this book, and I have so much that I could say in that 11%. None of it good. 
literally not one good thing about any of this. Nothing. I still have an arc of book two, which came out a few months ago, but we've talked before about how I'm behind on everything in my pile. I'm not going to waste my time with it. I'm just, I'm not even going to. I'm done with this series. And frankly, I don't see myself ever picking up this author again. Not when my first time trying her work left such a disgusting, rage-filled taste in my mouth. Nope, I am done. So I went from a rage DNF book to more like a meh, okay book. Oh, this week was another roller coaster, wasn't it? So I finished up Cherish Hard by Nalini Singh, which came out this week. This one is a three-star read for me. So we've got an age gap going on here with an older heroine, younger hero. Isa is 28 to Sailor's 23. Yes, Sailor is his name. Yeah, that was a little bit odd for me too, but whatever. She's a teacher or something. I'll get back to that in a little bit. He's a landscaper. He owns like his own company. Oh, and this book is set in New Zealand. Speaking of their age real quick, she often came across as more immature than 28. And overall, this book had a new adult feel without being new adult at all. And it just kind of left me confused and it's kind of hard to explain. But I never felt like their age matched up with their characters and how their characters acted. Something was just off between the two things. Also, it's a little thing I know, but I lost count of how often he calls her his redhead or his spitfire. At first, it was kind of cute, but after a while, it just got a bit annoying. Okay, a lot annoying, because I bet you there's probably like 50 times that this was said in the course of this book. So I was confused as fuck on which one of her siblings is half or a step-sibling, and from which marriage, because apparently both her mother and her father have been married a million times each. And being confused about the siblings may not seem like much, but it's especially bad here because so much of her life is devoted to taking care of her, taking care of her siblings and making sure that they're okay. So they're important to her story, and I still had no idea who was who. So when it affects the actual character's story and their, their actual character, um, stuff like which sibling is which is pretty damn important, and I am still very much lost on who was married to who for this kid and who was already married when this kid came. I have no idea. It's all a blur. There was also a lot of head switching in this book. Yes, I will say that Nalini Singh does mark the breaks on the pages to show the head jump. So, you know, it'd, it'd be going along, we'd skip a few lines, and then it would start again with like, um, it wasn't like a bold font for the first couple words, but it's where like the first few words of the new paragraph are in a different font or they're all capitalized, you know what I'm saying? So you can tell it's a different, uh, supposed to be a different section. So she did do that. So that helped. Otherwise it would have been really confusing, but we'd switch from his head to hers a few times per chapter at least. And the chapters are not that long. So I'm talking about a lot of times they would switch from one to the other within the course of like a page. And this went on a lot throughout the book. Yes, sometimes it might be we might go, say, five pages before we'd switch again, but sometimes it would be only a few paragraphs and then we'd switch again. This gave me a bit of a headache and it always pulled me out of the story and it would screw with the scene flow a lot. Plus, there were a lot of chapters that had an odd cutoff going from one chapter and starting into another, as in it would cut off midway through a completely just mundane conversation going on, and then on the next page it'd be a new chapter and that same conversation would just pick right up and keep going. And there was no, there was no reason for it to cut off from the ch one chapter and go into the next. I just, I don't understand. I don't understand how she decided to break off the chapters like she did, because all it did, again, was mess with the flow of the book and it didn't accomplish anything. I don't recall 
noticing these things when I've read her before. I mean, you know I love her Psy Changeling series. I've read most of her, um, no, actually I think I've read all of the series that came before this one. Another contemporary one. My mind has gone blank on the name of it. Rock Kiss? Rock something? I don't know. I will leave links to it. But anyway, my point is I've read quite a few of her books and I've really loved quite a few of her books. I don't remember noticing this head jumping and chapter flow issues in those, but maybe there was and I'm just not remembering it or it didn't bother me at the time. I don't know. Now I'm going to have to kind of go back or keep better track when I'm reading another one from her and see if it's something that she does often or if it's this book or if it's like her self-published versus her big publishing house books or what's going on. I don't know. So the issues with the flow of the writing aside, mainly I was left wanting more from the story, more from their characters, more from their relationship. So I'm still not sure what exactly Isa does. She mentions T Teaching, but it's vague and it's not really part of the story. And there's mention of doing poetry, but again, it's vague and it's not really a part of the story. And I know her mom wants her to be the vice president of the family business, but Isa doesn't want that. So I have no fucking clue where that leaves her or what she's doing with her life. I just don't know. I know what he does. I mean, I know he's a landscaper. He owns his own business. I know he's trying to grow his business and make good money to take care of his family and stuff. But I really have no idea what all she's doing. I've been saying a lot of things that I didn't like, so what did I like about this? I mean, these two did have some cute moments together, and the story, while it was really slow, wasn't bad, but I was struggling a bit to stay engaged with the book. Pacing in that was just off, and um, I just didn't quite feel the deep connection to either characters to pull me in that way either. But I didn't hate it. So let's talk about sex, which was also fine, but didn't wow me. But then you guys also have to remember that my wow level for sex is in books <laughs> is um, really skewed because I prefer it as dirty as fuck. And so anything less than that is just kind of like, mm, it was there. <laughs> However, their first encounter involves a finger bang and three orgasms for her. And then he quickly masturbates for her. She asked for it. Um, not gonna lie, that scene was hot, though quick, and it left me wanting more. Ha, huh, that's what she said. And while their first full sex scene later on was hot, it also came out of nowhere. So she's the only one left in the office after hours, and he shows up with a picnic for them. But then instead of eating it and talking, which would have been cute and intimate and added to their relationship development, he sets the basket down, puts her up on her desk, and a few sentences later, I'm not even exaggerating, they're fucking. It was pretty hot, but it didn't quite fit the scene, and it left me wanting more, especially from their first time. Um, now, not as if she was a virgin or he was, but I mean their first time as a couple fully together. And I also kept thinking that they were going to get caught, especially since her mother was already suspicious of Sailor. She thought that he was the one that had spilled some information about their company to the media, and so that worry just kind of took me out of the scene, took me out of the sexy times a bit. And like I said, I really wanted to see that picnic cuteness scene just as much as the desk quickie fucking, and instead we only got one. Which, I know, usually I'd be the one saying, well, just give me the fucking scene. But again, I was left wanting on that, so if I had to pick, I would have said, hey, let me see them having the picnic, and then you can do the quickie fucking. That would have made me a happy reader both ways. Also, I wanted them to go to the cookie bar that he promised her at the beginning of the book. Okay, I'm lying. Mostly, I just wanted to go to a cookie bar. Why the hell isn't there a cookie bar? Like, anywhere near me. Oh, right, because I live in the middle of nowhere. <sighs> 
The struggle is real, you guys. If you have something like a cookie bar by you, let me know. Actually, don't, because that would just be cruel to tease me like that. I feel like I'm rambling, you guys, so maybe I just should wrap up this one, because I don't really have a whole lot to say. I liked this one. It was okay. It was slow, and it left me wanting more from the story and the characters and everything else. I had those few issues with the writing itself that I mentioned, but I didn't hate this book. So I'd say if you've been following the previous series that I mentioned that comes, this is a spinoff from it, then you'll probably want to start this new series and get the stories for the other guys in the family. Sailor being the first hero, obviously. I'll be back for the rest of the series because I do genuinely enjoy Nalini Singh's books, but here's what I've noticed for me. I've noticed that her contemporaries are more hit or miss for me than her side changeling series. So this one happened to fall more on the meh side of things, but hey, at least it wasn't a rage book like Size Matters. It was nowhere close to that. Thank God. So the last book that I finished was Citywide by Santino Hassel. So this is a collection of three novellas. It just came out this week. Overall, I'm giving this one four and a half stars, making it a royal pick for November. So the first story, which is in first POV from uh, only from Chris's perspective, is an MMM. So you have a married poly couple that's in an open relationship, and they bring in their third lover, finally, to keep. So Chris does IT, and he's on the shorter side especially for Romance Landia standards, right, where we expect our heroes to be fucking giants. Give me some more average-sized heroes in every sense of the word. I'd be good with that. Anyway, Chris has always been described as the cute or adorable guy, especially within his group of friends, all characters from previous books and that, where everyone else is described as being hot or sexy, and he's always been the one that people look at and go, oh, you're so adorable. Not that he thinks he's ugly, he just, he's always been the cute one in the group, you know? So he's unsure on his sexuality. He's always thought himself as straight, but now he's admitted to his attraction to Jace and Aiden, that would be the married polyamorous couple, and he's not turned off by looking at other men, even though he's not been with any others. and He's not currently interested in it because, you know, hello, he's in love with these two. But even by the end of the story, he's not labeled himself. He's tried to figure out, is he bi? Is he heteroflexible? Is he, you know, just going to use the term queer that was brought up? So whatever you want to call Chris, or if he doesn't want to label himself at all, he's not straight and he's not gay. So that's really all that matters, right? Just as long as the person is happy and and that's it. Who who needs labels all the time? So Jace is the horny one of this group. N no, I mean, literally, he really is. And he is not ashamed of it. And neither is um, Aiden. And obviously neither is Chris. So Jace is described as kind of fey looking with long hair. He's a bit shorter than Chris even. Aiden is the ginger teddy bear of the trio. He's big, he's muscular, but he loves taking care of Jace and now taking care of Chris. So if you remember, these three had that freebie short story a month ago. Shit, I'm not even going to remember the name now, am I? But I talked about it on a previous podcast and I will link to it in the entry. And it should still be a freebie. I think that was supposed to be a permanent freebie. But that kind of showed you as they were first getting together at the time, just as kind of casual fuck buddies, basically. But that kind of starts the relationship and we got 
got little hints of them in previous books, and then this is kind of fully finishing out their story and giving them a potential for a happily ever after. And I say that because, you know, when the novella ends, they're just starting to figure out what they're going to do and, and if this is going to work and that. But there's definitely that very strong potential there for a, a complete happily ever after form. And I want to believe that they're going to get it. So these three are hot as fuck together, but they're also just adorable together. And they gave me all, all the feels, just all of them. There's angst as they try to figure out how this triad could possibly work out because Aiden and Jace have always had an open relationship. They've been together since they were in their, I don't know, like late teens, early 20s. I think it was their late teens when they first started to hook up. And they've always just... They've always shared other guys within their relationship. But Chris can't do that. Chris doesn't like the thought of being with them if it means that they're still going to go and have someone else on the off day. And it's not that he's judging them for being open. It's that he himself is not an open, you know, open relationship kind of guy. And he knows that if he tried to get into that while they were still doing the open relationship, it would hurt him to be that jealous all the time, to be that insecure. And he tries to explain that to him, that he's not judging them for what they're doing, but he can't be with them if that's if that's what they have to have in their life. If they have to have an open relationship, he can't be with them. They've got to figure that out. All three of them have got to figure that out. If they can make it work without anyone having to compromise and be unhappy or what. I mean, there's so, there's so many great scenes in here, like sex scenes, obviously. These three are dirty. Dirty talkers, dirty just dirty and in, in that, you know, there's cum and sweat and everything all over the place and they love it. You know, it's a triad, so it's different sex positions, different groupings, different whatever, and it's all hot. All of it is hot. But there's one scene where Jace is giving Chris a blowjob under the desk while two women are walking past and asking Chris a question. And it was Oh yeah, it was something. It was hot and it was kind of fun and yeah, I was here for it. So I really enjoyed this one. Do I want to see more from these from this triad? Of course. I would love if there was another follow-up or a short story down the road or something, but as it is, I am I'm just happy to see them finally working things out and walking towards their happily ever after. So book two, I keep wanting to call it an FF, but I guess that's not entirely accurate. Tanya is genderqueer and is okay with either he or she pronouns. So I suppose for the sake of what I'm talking about, I'm going to use she for her. Just, I don't know, because, because it make it a little bit easier on me. She is a former Marine. She's now working security and she's also if I'm remembering correctly, Puerto Rican-American. I know that so many of the characters within this series from, like, the white people are the minority within the group of characters. Most of them are mixed heritage in one way, shape, or form. And obviously, like, literally everyone is queer, with the exception of one that we'll get to in the last story. He is not queer, but, like, everyone else in their group is queer to one form or another, which I love all of that. Diversity, yes, yes, please. That looks more like, um, a little bit more like New York, which is where this is set, than a lot of romances that are set in New York in big cities, and, like, everyone in their group is white and cis and het, which is, um, not accurate, especially in those big cities, but anyway, that's getting off topic. Meredith is more on the femme side. She's, I believe, bi or queer or whatever term she would like to use. That is, I don't think that she's only been with women. I it seems to recall talking about an ex-boyfriend or two. She's from a very rich family and the total opposite of Tanya. But these two were adorable and hot together. Do you see a theme with this collection of stories? Yeah, that's basically Santino's writing in a nutshell, and I love it. 
and I am not complaining about it here. While every sex scene between these two was hot as well, one that stands out is when the harness and dildo comes out to play, which is yet another reason why I loved this collection. There's so much variety in the sex, regardless of the gender pairing. There's different types of sex going on all throughout this book, and I loved it. So kind of going back to our discussion, at the beginning of this podcast. Now you'll know where one of those ranty reviews came from. I saw some reviewers that called Tanya rude or unlikable. Bitch, she's nothing but supportive and caring to Meredith. Tanya's just a one of those keep-it-all-to-myself, sometimes antisocial type, which is the same as many heroes in Romance Landia, yet those same readers love those heroes or even love the truly unredeemable asshole heroes, yet they call a heroine unlikable for breathing the wrong way. I mean... <sighs> Hi, that internalized misogyny talk from earlier? This is where it applies. Sorry, book two, or novella two, is first POV from Tanya only. Book three is dual first POV and alternates between both uh, Stephanie and Angel. Angel and Stephanie have been dancing around each other for years and years and years. They've been friends and they've each been attracted to one another and they have been on and off on being fuck buddies, but they've never been able to get it together for any sort of a relationship, especially since Stephanie is very much anti-commitment and it seemed like they were doomed to a life of always wanting but not being able to do anything about it other than regular fucking of course, that they have no problem with, which, while fan-fucking-tastic every single time, you know, that, that only helps to complicate things even more between them. So the sex in this novella is dirty and intense, no surprise. There's sex toys that's brought in as well, and there's even talk of the infamous fucking machine. Just talk of it, mind you. And Angel is totally down for anal play and prostate stimulation, and I loved every dirty minute of their time together. Just, I wanted more of it. If you twisted my arm, I suppose I'd say that this novella barely falls into my least favorite spot from the collection. But hold on, by that I mean 4.499999 stars rather than the four and a half stars of the other two. I just felt like I needed their road to a we're finally going to make this work to be a bit longer than just what was within this novella. I mean, yes, they have spent years dancing around each other, but because of that, I needed a little bit more time to see them finally settle in and, you know, work through why it is that it's never worked out between them before. So I just wanted, I just wanted a little bit more than a novella. Like, I think these two probably needed a full-on novel because their relationship is just so complicated all these years. But regardless, everything else about this was just A+. So this collection is truly fantastic. I loved revisiting this world and the characters, but more importantly, I loved that we got more than just M.M. This is actually some of Santino's first, or maybe it's his entirely his first, at least first published foray outside of writing M.M. And we could get into a whole discussion, I'll keep it brief, about how a lot of readers don't cross over. So a lot of M.F. readers don't really cross over into reading queer romances, and a lot of readers who love M.M. don't necessarily cross over into anything that has a vagina involved, so MF or FF or anything like that, which that was an entire discussion on Twitter lately. Um, if I can find the tweets again, it was not from me. If I can find those tweets again from a couple authors, I will link to those. That's actually a constant conversation within the community. Anyway, it came up again this week. My point is, some readers really don't cross over, even for a favorite author, and I know that was a worry for Santino just like it is for many other authors that do that, where they know that they're not going to have all of their readers from, for example, here, an MM readership, cross over and pick up the other two novellas in here that have, you know, a 
cis female and a genderqueer uh, heroine, and the other one being a male and female. Oh, I don't think I ever said, but Stephanie is bi, and Angel is the one that I was saying is the only truly just straight guy within their crew of characters in this series. So, I mean, if I stop and think about that, it makes me it makes me mad that, that some readers... <sighs> They might say, oh yeah, love is love, let me support marriage equality and all this, and then you hand them a romance that is outside of what they read, and oh no, I don't want to touch that. And about the whole, you know, not MM readers that don't want to read any romance that has a female in it, I mean, that really goes back to that internalized misogyny thing, um, and I've kicked that dead horse far too much today, so I will leave it at that. But I just, I loved that we got such a diverse collection of stories here. I want to see more of that from Santino. I love his MM, I do. But I hope that he continues to give us more MF and FF and whatever other pairing that he wants to do. I am here for it. I am like, I'm waiting. I will hand over all my money for it. I also love that there is no guilt or shame about anyone's sexuality here. And by that, I don't just mean their sexual orientation, which, I mean, obviously I hope there'd be no shame about that since it is a, a queer romance series written by a queer author, but rather I mean that there's no shame or guilt about what each person in this series, what they find arousing or what they like to do. It is all super sex positive and I am always here for that. I mean, there is so much more to these stories than just sex positivity and hot sex, but I'm also trying not to give you guys the entire story outline from like start to finish. So of course I'm just going to focus on the hot sex because hi, it is me after all. So could you read Citywide as a standalone? Sure, I guess you could, but it'll be so, so much more satisfying if you read the rest of the series first and fall for this amazing cast of characters and then come along and pick up these three stories. Trust me, you won't regret it. Go Go binge this entire series, come back and you can thank me later, and then let's talk about it because I am so here for that. So right now I'm reading Between You and Me by Jennifer Grayson. This one comes out on the 28th. Since I totally adored Love in Dublin last month, which was my first time reading Jennifer Grayson, I'm excited to see how this one compares. And I'm also kind of in the mood for a holiday romance, and this one is sort of set around that time, or at least set during the winter. After that, I think I'm going to finally read Alicia Rye's Wrong to Need You. I've had the arc for far too long, and I was holding off because, I don't know, I sometimes I feel like I have to hold off on my arcs until a week or two before the book comes out. Because I do share so much of the quotes on Twitter, and because I talk about it like this and that, I feel bad if I'm talking about it like months in advance and you guys can't run out and buy it yet. So I try really hard to hold off on reading my arcs until it's almost ready to come out. I am finally just going to treat myself, and I'm going to start that. As to my audiobook, I've got less than like 5% left of Duke of My Heart by Kelly Bowen. And I should just talk about it this week, but honestly, I'm already running out of time to record and edit this podcast right now. So I'll just save that book chat for next week. And I'm not sure what audiobook I'm going to pick up after because I am still on hold for the next Elizabeth Hoyt Maiden Lane book, um, 10 or 11. Whichever one is about the Duke that is always meddling in everyone's affairs, you know the one I'm talking about. You're probably screaming it at me right now, but I am horrible with remembering names and I didn't put it in my notes. Um, anyway, I've got a hold on that one at my library and I'm number one on the hold, but I've been number one for like two weeks. So I'm just waiting for that to come in. And if it's not going to come in, then I guess I've got to go find something else to read and hopefully, or rather something else to listen to. And hopefully it is not another ragey DNF like um, Size Matters, which fingers crossed we don't have another one like that next week. 
What about you? Tell me what you are reading this weekend. And since I will not see you, or since I will not talk to you again until after Thanksgiving, I hope you have a lovely Thanksgiving, assuming you celebrate it. And um, I hope you get some time that is not full of stress and family, which can be a good or a bad thing with family, um, to read something and just enjoy yourself. So I hope you enjoyed this week's What You're Reading chat. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful weekend and fall in love with some fantastic books. Until next week, enjoy. TBQ.